Now, we're knowing him and knowing his personality, you, you wouldn't be surprised. You know what I'm saying? He, he's one of those type of people. Like that. He's, he get indecisive at times. You know, he may have, he's one of those people that I have what I want to do, but when it's time to get down, it's, I change it up, and I'm changing it up, and I change it up. So, you know, you know, when you know him, it ain't surprising to me. You know, so, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the day. If he don't sign it, me and Anthony, we'll still proceed. Is it true you're, you're getting $40 million for this bet? I don't know. Why are you being nosy? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a career-high payday, though, for this one. I mean, when you're dealing with Saudi Arabia, there's always going to be someone career-high out there. You know, they, 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 have, you know, they have a lot out there. And, uh, and they, they just want, but most of all, they just want to show the world that, you know, what they want to offer to the world and the things that they're doing out there and then and, and bring to a, a safe environment, uh, a place where you can enjoy and you can see a lot of, I like the ar architecture out there, the buildings and different things like that, you know, so. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where the war cry has gone out. Um, after Friday night's performance, Adrian Broders let the world know that anyone can get it. And that brings a smile to my face. As much as it shouldn't, as much as he's flattered to deceive, boxing needs Adrian Broner back. There's, there's no question about that. And I base it on this. There are people who don't know much about Adrian Broner. But if you show them an Adrian Broner clip, they'd have seen it before. He's that kind of, he's been memefied so much in boxing and outside of boxing, in fact, that, well, how do you put it? He's transcended boxing without being aware of it and without being able to commercialize it. And I think that's probably the bigger tragedy in his career, that he's never been able to maximize the value of his fame. But let's keep it UK-focused for a bit until we then decide to broaden it out and you know, have a bit of fun um, as we approach the, the, kind of the unofficial end of the season. I mean, if you look at amateur gyms now, you've got the Harringay Box Cup, which will be kicking off shortly. And then that's everyone off now. Unless you're boxing in international competitions. You'll be somewhere like Ibiza, Tenerife, Marbella. You know, the, the boxing community likes to unite. So all those guys who get to do that, fantastic. And have a great time. I might see you out there. It'd be nice to see you lot out there. And, you know, this is just a nice time of the year. The weather's fantastic. Guys are doing outdoor shows. Although I don't, th I don't know if you want to be involved in those. Because those tracksuits get pretty hot when the sun beats on them. But in the pro game, we're kind of at that season where we just have, we're having what I call blow-off cards. So we've had a Coley versus Billum Smith. I think that's probably the high point of the summer. And we're not going to get anything major in the UK, I don't think, until August. So my expectation will be that the real season will kick off in August and it will probably kick off around whenever the football season starts, right? And within that, I expect you'll see Dan Aziz fighting Joshua Boatze as a kickoff on Sky. And that will be where Sky kind of anchor their season's coverage. I don't even know if that's been confirmed. I don't know if that's been announced. But I would expect that to be a fight that does happen. And that'll be a good start, actually. But what we've got this weekend is another blow-off card. And I don't mean blow-off in terms of the talent. I mean, it's a card that's not very expensive to make. But it's a feel-good card. So, top of the bill, you've got Sonny Edwards defending his title. It's his return to mainstream TV. Like, he'd been on, you know, 
he'd been on shows 100%, but he'd been kind of off the grid, hadn't he? We didn't really get to see Sonny fight. So now we've got Sonny Edwards defending his title. We get Ellie Scott and going for a world title a few weeks after she should have done, which is a feel-good story because whatever you say, she's one of the hardcore's favourites. So that will be you know, a, nice, a nice story to, to tie things up. We, we get to see Siobhan Clark sort of, no, I don't want to say announce himself a British level, but kind of give us a benchmark for which we can, we can assess where he fits in this picture. We've also got Nina Hughes. Um, so these are all feel-good stories. Nina Hughes at 40 plus. I don't know if she's 41 or 40, but at 40 plus doing her thing. So, so it's a, it's a feel-good card. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. Not an expensive one to make, not a hard one to make logistically, but enough. But there's a subtext to this that people will, will zero in on when, when the show comes on. And it's this. Everyone's got to find their level. So we've got to be able to link social media profile with how many tickets are sold. Sold. I'll give you an example. Tyson Fury does stadium fights. Justifiably. If Fury says, I want to do Old Trafford, no one's going to say that's ridiculous. If Fury says, I'll do the Millennium Stadium, that's not ridiculous. If Joshua says, I want to do a stadium, it's not ridiculous. So they stand on their own as all-out attractions. People come to see them. Then there's a tear down of what I call arena fighters. MEN, uh, O2, first direct in Leeds. Um, we might even include the OVO here. And then there's a group of people who fit in that. That's Chisora, that's Dillian, that's Eubank Jr. Um, who else would fit into that bracket? I'd put Josh Taylor in that. If you did it in Scotland, Josh Taylor's in that conversation too. So there are a handful of people we have in this country who are at that level. Billy Joe Saunders is at that level. And so the question is, is Sonny Edwards at that level? As a headliner, is Sonny Edwards at that level? Will Sonny Edwards do... 10 to 12,000 tickets at the OVO. Because remember, this is as close to a local fight as he can get. There's no, I can't sit here and go, he won't. I can't sit here and say he will. We'll find out when, when the show happens. But this is where you try and find out economically what can you do with Sonny Edwards. So hopefully, that social media energy, all that stuff that he does, and a lot of it's good, by the way. That's, you know... I'm I'm generally labelled as a Sonny Edwards hater, which isn't true. What I'm saying is, he does a lot of stuff that's good, and if you were to have a social media playbook, he ticks a lot of those boxes. We're going to find out if that translates into numbers, and for the sake of boxing, we hope it does, right? Because then that's another name we can put up and say, right, here's a guy that does numbers, and he can bring talent through. And I think that that would be a pretty sound, a pretty sound way to look at things. Because nothing else is really carrying the card. Ellie's fighting Shanika Johnson. But that's not going to step out too far from the boxing bubble. That's a, that's a trade fight. That's a fight that people in the sport want to see. Because they want to see L win a title and then start chasing people. Um, also, there's Shannon Ryan. Shannon Ryan's now, I think she's now officially with Matchroom. There's, there's been a lot of attention on Shannon Ryan. And now it's time for her to prove. So, for a blow-off card, this is... It's got some areas of interest if you're really deep into the sport. But if you're casual, this is one that you can afford to miss and carry on drinking in your pub garden, if I'm being honest. 
So that's the blow-off card. And if you notice, there hasn't been a lot of talk. Most of the talk about this fight week has been Joshua. It's been Joshua, it's been Fury, it's been Saudi. And I'm 100% confident we're no further forward than we were before. So, so all this Joshua Fury, Wilder, Usyk talk is interesting because on one hand, Usyk's kind of forced everyone's hand by signing up with Skills Challenge. And we can come on to that in a second. But when you look at it strategically, a year and a half ago, Saudi, sporting-wise, it was really boxing and LIV golf or live golf. That's what it was. They're, they were trying to sort of embed themselves, ingratiate themselves, and they were looking at football clubs. Newcastle was a takeover target and so on and so forth. Fast forward to where we're at now. And bear in mind that there'll be a defined budget for, call it whatever you want, but let's call it an investment in sport. Saudi will have a prime budget because it's run like a business. Into that budget, they've now taken, well, sorry, from that budget, they've now taken a big chunk of money to keep the PGA happy for golf, and they've merged all the international tours into one global tour. That's not cheap. Golf's one of the most lucrative sports in the world. That's very, very expensive. You think it's expensive to buy boxers, more expensive to buy golfers. And then you look at it and you go, okay, so that's a big chunk of money gone. We'll still be okay. Then there's the push for, obviously, greater involvement in Formula One. That's another challenge. The challenge is football, and this is a bigger challenge. If Saudi Arabia, and it is Challenge 2030, that's their goal. So Challenge 2030 is that thing that says we shouldn't be dependent on oil by 2030. We should be a destination in our own right. Now we've got another seven years to pull it off. And so they're investing heavily in that. They want eyes on Saudi Arabia. Look, they're building a whole new city in a damn desert for people to come to. So I mean, there has to be a reason to do that. And to that end, the Saudi government, through its various agencies, have invested in football. They have acquired football clubs. That's why you're seeing guys like Benzema getting 100, 200 million a year. Cantor, 100 million a year. Um, they're offering Maris 40 million a year. The reason they're doing this is it gets far more attention. And they're starting to see that. The thing they're paying Benzema, they're paying Benzema what? Let's just say 100 million a year. I know these numbers get inflated and deflated. But you're paying Benzema 100 million a year. Does Benzema have more followers than Anthony Joshua? Probably. More followers than Tyson Fury? Probably. Have more people seen these guys play football than watch these guys box? Yes. So you get more value out of that money from Benzema than you do from Tyson Fury because Fury arrives, he's there for a couple of weeks and he leaves. Benzema doesn't. Much like Neymar did with PSG, Benzema becomes an ambassador for the Saudi ambitions and the Saudi initiatives. Same with Ronaldo. Same with Kante. All of these guys are going to be well paid to be permanent ambassadors for what Saudi Arabia is trying to achieve. And that's a better return on investment than boxing. So what's happened over the last 18 months is boxing shuffled down the list of priorities. That's why you don't hear the fight for December being announced yet. It's not a priority. It's about let's see what's left in the pot after we've done the important things. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the message that was relayed back to Eddie Hearn. We'll revisit this closer to the end of the year. 
we still have it in mind to do, but we haven't rubber stamped it. And so it will be contingent on do the acquisitions in the golf world, do the acquisitions in the football world, do they do what we need them to do? And if they do, then you're obviously coming back to the table saying, well, we've done what we wanted to do this year, so we don't want to pay all this money for these four guys to box each other. And it will come back to the point I made right at the beginning of these talks. You'll only see one of those fights. Saudi only needs one, tops. Because, like I said, if you've got Benzema in your league and you start bringing it in, because I think in the Saudi league now, you're allowed like eight foreign players. So these guys can do what they want. What is it? The government owns four teams... The oil companies and stuff own another four. So there's money to, to spend here. That they'll, they'll burn through a billion, a billion and a half. Unlike Eddie Hearn, this billion's real. And as the oil price goes up, it frees up more and more capital to do this. So with all of that considered, the signing by Skills Challenge of Usu was interesting because of, of the four heavyweights we've mentioned, he's the cheapest. He brings the smallest footprint. But he also brings that kind of geopolitical hue or shade or color regarding the conflict in Ukraine that makes it hard to criticize. So you can sign Usyk and then it's hard to criticize the fact that he's with a Saudi entity, right? Because you're like, well, it's Usyk, he's fine for Ukraine, he's an honorable guy. They were smart in the acquisition that they made. But it gives them a pawn on their heavyweight chessboard. You know, you saw, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Middle Eastern money was behind the purse bid for the Dubois fight. But you saw at like 8 million, Usyk's not that expensive. So they're not prepared to put the money down because Wilder was out there saying he's a free agent, sign me. And they said, nah, you look a bit too expensive. So if Usyk's the guy, then the real question is who's going to fight Usyk after Dubois? Because if Usyk fights Dubois in August, and let's say it goes the distance, and, you know, it's Daniel Dubois, so there'll be some, some heavy shots being landed, Usyk's not going to be ready for December. So you're definitely not going to get this semi-final into a final sort of scenario because December's out. Usyk will be, what, 36, 37? The body won't recover in time. For him to go straight into another camp and face Fury, Joshua, or Wilder, be absolutely insane. So you're not going to see that. So you're not going to see Usyk fight. That leaves three others. Joshua Wilder showed an appetite to get involved. Fury hasn't. Joshua Wilder also easier to sell in Saudi. They don't. They aren't known for drinking and doing drugs. Neither has failed a drugs test. It's an easier sell. Could that happen? Potentially. But I don't. I still don't see in a Benzema world what the point is. In a Benzema-Ronaldo world, if your PR's on point, I don't see what the point is of having, of having the boxing there. It just doesn't add any additional value. But this taps into a wider issue. And I've, I've talked about this on numerous occasions when I said boxing made more sense when we had MTK around. And some people got upset by that because they come at it from the we see the destruction drugs are doing in Ireland position, right? And that's their lived experience, and I can't disrespect that. I can only validate that and say, yeah, that is your lived experience. It's just not mine. My knowledge of MTK starts and ends with boxing, officially anyway. And 
one of the challenges you're going to have around that is in a fragmented world that we've created now through you know, dismantling the edifice that used to exist. In doing that, we've created so much chaos. And now you look at skills challenging, you're like, well, that's a lot of the same cast of characters that we've seen in every other Middle Eastern boxing drama. Pretty much the same cast and characters, right? It is. So now do we need to investigate that? Why would anyone engage in that process if they know what's behind it? And I'm not here to, to judge one way or the other because boxing's by far, you know, well, not even by far, it's the least of the sports that's in trouble at the moment because, like I said, it, it's got no long-term contractual obligations. So if boxing doesn't happen, no one loses money, really. But we have to come back to this because now people are saying, well, Usyk signed up to narco-terror and this, that, and the other. Yeah. Perhaps, but there are real problems right now across two dimensions. One, just sports in general, right? So if you look at, I will take rugby union as an example, three professional rugby union clubs. The rugby union is the sport of the establishment. Three have been allowed to go to the wall because the sport doesn't make any money. Rugby union at the professional level generates enough income to cover its running costs, but not enough income to pay its players. So they run at a £5 million deficit every year. And the players complain when that salary cap gets reduced, but the, the economics of professional rugby do not make sense. They cannot fill stadia to the point where they could average 20,000 fans a week, and that's probably the minimal viable standard. You know, I'll go back three years, and I remember when the pandemic was starting to bite, and it was clear that football wasn't going to happen. And we were part of lending to these football clubs, um, obviously not solely on the balance sheet, but it was syndicated out. And you were lending to guys like Leicester City, uh, Southampton, West Ham took some money, I think Wolves took some money. About seven or eight premiership clubs we were involved in lending to. And it's only when you go through the books you realize how precarious these, these guys are. Like, they're always one messed up decision away from going under. But it's football, so they normally get saved because those TV rights are quite lucrative in the Premier League. And so all of this tells you that the greed in sport is ridiculous. And that greed in sport is where nefarious characters can slide in and you've seen it in boxing because there's no governance but there's a, a ton of greed at least in football and rugby there's like a fit and proper test you kind of have to be a legitimate businessman to get in you know and and with every disaster that affects that league they tighten up those requirements boxing you can just walk in you can walk in with a sack full of fivers and you can be involved in boxing straight away because they just want money. And so a lot of people in boxing are compromised. And I think there's, there's an Irish lady called Nicola Tallow. And she, she does investigations into the Kinahan cartel. Um, some, some of the stuff she writes is pretty interesting. Um, some of it feels a bit off the mark. But, you know, she probably knows better than I do. But one of the things that is going to happen, and she agrees with this, and I've, I've said this for a long time, 
people are going to get arrested and people have been arrested. I know people have had their doors knocked. Most of the time you're not going to know who because they're turning people. Right? When this all started to, to come on top, and there was a concerted effort from the authorities to say, we need to start putting pressure on these guys. And it's hard because everyone's kind of removed from the thing that they're talking about. But here's what it is. They are targeting people who have received money that they can't justify and they can't explain where the money came from. People that have families, people that have family that they're close to. And they're starting to target those people. So these guys that you're seeing on IFL talking the hardest at some point have either had a knock and have been turned or about to get a knock and get charged. If you've seen someone who's been a bit too blatant, a bit too visible, and they haven't held a charge, just know that they're cooperating. And when this all came out, if you remember, that's one of the things I said. I said, I hope people don't start cooperating. I hope people don't turn into rats and stool pigeons. This is exactly what that we didn't want to happen. But that's, that's how this whole empire is going to collapse. They're going to keep catching and turning people until they can get the mechanics of this sorted out. And remember, it's not just going to be about taking out one organization. It's going to be about... The, the aim here is to decapitate the whole thing. So they will take their time. So I see people now living off the largesse of these operations and stuff. And that's all well and good. My advice to them is, it's coming. It's coming. Once your name's on some of that paperwork, it's done. Unless, unless you turn rat. And then it's done. Because on the other side, there are definite plans for anyone who does rat. And that's going to involve you. It's going to involve your family. That's not going to be good. That I've heard from someone I trust with my life. There are plans for that. So you, cooperating will come with a price. And the sad thing is that this is all involved in boxing. Yeah, look, look how many shows there are. All these promoters are popping up. There's a show in Bradford, in the Bradford Hotel, for God's sake. Now, I've had the misfortune to stay in the Bradford Hotel, and I'll just give you a brief story. I stayed in the Bradford Hotel. They told me the room was a suite, right? It, they called it a suite because it was essentially two rooms with a door in the middle, right? So I could just open the door and go into the other room. And that was nice until the ceiling fell in. So the ceiling falls in on the bedroom. Luckily, I wasn't in. But I came back, I just saw a load of plaster on my bed. But I say that to say that it's not a great venue. It's a tiny venue. But there's a show happening there. And I'm like, the economics don't make sense. There's a couple of shows happening in the Midlands that don't make sense economically. Most of these shows don't make sense economically. Like, if you've ever listened to Ring Talk with Steve Goodwin and Martin Theobald, they've gone into rough numbers of what it costs to run a show. It's expensive. But if you haven't got to worry about making a profit, run as many shows as you want. The other thing that this fragmentation has done is, is it's meant that you can't have everyone under that MTK banner that you could then just essentially body shop, as we like to call it in our trade. You could body shop shows and go, right, you need three A sides and five B sides. Cool, we're going to send that lot up for you. You okay with that? So you can't do that anymore. So what you're seeing now is all these entities and people and characters hoovering up amateurs, right? They're hoovering everyone up and going, right, we'll manage you, we'll get you going. And so you wonder, 
Has anything really changed in the sport since? No. Just, like I said, the cast, the cast and the characters are the same. The, ident the identities may change a bit, but essentially it's the same story. And so that's why you're seeing loads of kids get hoovered up. Is that a good thing? I don't think so, and I'm going to outline my reasons why. If you saw the Frank Warren show on Saturday, and I'm not casting aspersions on who anyone's affiliated to, what I'm saying is, if you saw those fights on Saturday, um, Friday night, you will know that the standard wasn't great. That's the sort of card, like I said, we're in blow-off season. That was a sort of card where there should have been more stoppages. Um, and like I said, I'm not here to criticize anyone's talent. I'm just talking about career management. Uh, so Royston Barney Smith, he was supposed to get that guy out of there. Didn't. Why? Turned over too early. Turned over too early. Hasn't got that, that solidity, that physical solidity that he needs. Hasn't got that, that maturity, that killer instinct. And when, if you remember, when he was in the corner, the advice he was being given wasn't to take this guy out. It was how to nullify the other guy who you're loads better than. So when is he going to learn how to be a dominant fighter? When is he going to learn how to take people out? Especially when they don't want to get taken out. That looks like that's going to be a long road. Um, Ezra Taylor boxed. I like Ezra Taylor. I think if... If you gave Ezra Taylor Dan Aziz's power, he'd be fighting for an English now. Even after six fights, he would. He does a lot of things really, really well. But he was meant to stop that guy. And he didn't. And I'm not saying that he's a bad fighter. I don't think he is. I don't think any of these guys are bad fighters. I just think sometimes we put people into situations because we think there's money to be made without thinking about, actually, how about we let this guy develop in the shadows before we expose him to the pressure, the tribulations of televised boxing. That's how I'd put it. I think they're all good guys, by the way. I think they're all good fighters. But let's contrast them with the, with the fail brothers, Carl and Ben. So Carl and Ben fail have been amateurs of God for as long as I've been around. Right? Did the miles, did the years, did the hard graft in the amateurs knew how to take people out. And you're seeing them box now, they know how to take people out. You don't have to teach them how to take people out. You can see that they're strong and they've done all the things because they've built that platform. We need to stop signing guys who don't have that platform. You shouldn't be turning pro. There's something that David Adelaide said um, in the build-up to his fight and he said his, his sort of evolution in training is, I've had to go back to basics. Because basics win you fights. And I'm like, but you're a professional boxer. My expectation is that everything is built on the basics. So if that's not the case, what's happened? You've been signed because someone saw money in you. And you were signed before you were ready. And like I said, I also like David Adelaide. I think, I actually think he's a really compelling talker. Because there was a point when, uh, I can't remember the lady who was presenting. And she said to David Adelaide, you've got similar records. I think this was an exchange room. You've got similar records to your opponent. And he stopped your meeting and said, we don't have similar records. I've never lost. And that kind of mental sharpness, that, that thing of, 
I need to control my image, I need to control my brand, I need to control how I'm portrayed. thought that was pretty switched on by him, actually. Um, seemed to struggle on Friday night, and comes down to being... Um, there's a number of things that Adelaide does wrong. And when you talk about basics, this is what I mean. Like, no one seems to have a grasp of the basics. Because he, he attacks in a straight line, and he retreats in a straight line, everything he does looks messy. He should be thinking in terms of just lateral movement, a couple of steps to one side, a couple of steps to the other side, and your opponent looks completely different. The shots that weren't landing before will suddenly start to land. He could incorporate that. I also think for someone with his level of athleticism, because remember, he's growing into the weight, so he's, he's gone from like 15-something to 16-11. He should have better hand speed. He should have better combinations. There were times there where if he just let his hands go, it would probably knock the guy out. But he was too, too conservative. But there's upside in him. If, if he does the right things, there's a lot of upside in him in the ring and out of the ring. And so I say this just to illustrate that these are all talented guys. I just feel that they were brought onto the scene before they needed to be. Another year, year and a half in the shadows would have been fantastic for them. Would have allowed them to harden up, toughen up, learn how to take people out, and then come on TV as a commodity that knows how to do what the fans need. But this all comes down to the fact that bodies are needed. Um, in the fraud game, they call it money muling, don't they? You put money into stuff, move it around, take it back out, right? And that thing that moved around is a mule. It feels a bit like that. And we need to get away from that. Because it's harming people's development, it's harming people's careers. That's what I'd say. And I've probably said more than I should have said on the podcast. And like I said, I'm not here to judge what people do outside of boxing. Not my place. I'm just saying for boxing, we're bringing people to the scene, too young, underprepared, and they're getting exposed. It's as simple as that. They're not, they're not inherently strong enough. They're not inherently skilled enough. They're not inherently smart enough to do this thing at a professional level. You shouldn't be saying to a professional athlete, you're learning on the job. What are you learning? I understand gaining experience. That's a completely different thing. Like you've got to do reps to do stuff, but you shouldn't be learning on the job. You should be developing on the job, not learning. There's a big difference between the two. Right, let's talk Canelo because we're, we're hitting that silly season now, aren't we, where people just need to make headlines with stuff. So we've had Hearn running around talking about he's had talks about making Canelo versus Badu Jack. Really? Really? Talks with who? And you see, this is what I mean about stop listening to media outlets because he told us he was having talks about Joshua versus Wilder. That's gone nowhere, by the way. That's gone nowhere. There's been not one peep out of Saudi Arabia. Bearing in mind that historically they control the, the budget and the event. There's been nothing. You know, it's Hearn's job to build up interest in it, but the Saudis will control when and how it's announced. There's been nothing. No, no interest, no appetite shown. So if that hasn't moved forward, please tell me why a 40-year-old Badu Jack would want to risk his cruiserweight title against Canelo when he can get paid the same amount of money, by the way. And bear in mind, it's his belt. He can get paid the same amount of money fighting anyone in Saudi. 
Because there's no guarantee he'll be given a license to box in the States. So where are you going to fight? You're going to fight in the Middle East. So it's not great for Canelo's domestic market, right? Because of the time difference. So none of this makes any sense. And then we hear that Canelo's going to fight Jamal Charlo at 168 in September. But Charlo hasn't fought since like 1955. So that doesn't seem to make sense either. Um, the Benavides team have said, nah, we're not going to do that. The Bivol team have said, Nah, we don't think Canelo's serious. And this is what I mean about boxing, right? Like, you're Canelo Alvarez. You're the biggest star in boxing. Like, who the, hell are, who the hell are you fighting in September? Just tell us. Who says no to Canelo? No one. So who are you going to fight? Reality is, I don't think they know. But you've got to make headlines up. I think if you were to look at it realistically, um, if you want to do those pay-per-view numbers, you're not fighting Bivol. He's, no one knows who Bivol is even after he beat Canelo you're fighting Charlo you're fighting Charlo but would Charlo take that with no tune up I don't know but you're definitely fighting Charlo but you also have to remember that that Canelo fight is going to follow hot on the heels of Spence Crawford so do you really want that kind of scheduling because chances are they're going to be on the same network so if Canelo fights Charlo, it'll be on Showtime. I don't think you'd do that on DAZN. DAZN won't have the money to pay Charlo what he needs, so you'd want to make that off the pay-per-view, and DAZN hasn't got that kind of footprint yet. Let's switch gears to Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez. Um, oh, man. Not sure what's happening with Teofimo at the moment. It doesn't look... I'll go back to how he was before Lomachenko, and he was so so confident in himself as if he knew what, what he, he needed to do and he knew what he was capable of. And I look now as he fights Josh Taylor and I mean, this guy's angry at everyone and everything. He's arguing with his dad. He's out there calling ESPN biased in favor of black fighters. Um, dad said, look, can you keep it off the record? He's like, no, keep it on the record. And you've got that sort of chaos and you should never have that in any kind of team and definitely not before a big fight because for all of Josh Taylor's sins, and yes, he's the king of self-sabotage in terms of brand and reputation, but Josh Taylor can fight. And Josh is that sort of nasty, aggressive, intense guy that I think may beat Teofimo Lopez into submission. I wouldn't be surprised if Lopez either quits or gets pulled out when, when they fight. Um, it's going to be an interesting test, I think, for, on, on Taylor's behalf. It's going to be interesting to see what Joe McNally can do. I'd like to see a pre-Ben Davison Josh come back. So aggressive. You know when he used to just step in with the jab, left uppercut, right hook, straight left. You know when he just throws four shots aggressively just to establish that he's the bigger, stronger guy in there. I'd love to see that Josh Taylor come back because the one we saw under Ben Davison wasn't the Josh that I recognized. So I think it'll be a fascinating fight. I don't see Teofimo winning. If I'm wrong, so be it. But I just think Josh is too mean. You know, like, like he, he loves to, to create those enemies in his head. Like, you never see him friendly and nice in a way. In that year. So we'll see what happens. But I, I do worry for Teofimo Lopez. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. He might need to take some time away from the sport to reset and fall back in love with it because I think the Cambosis loss, but it probably predates that. And I've said it before on, on these episodes. 
sometimes boxers aren't ready for the thing that they crave. They want to be world champion. They want to be number one in the world. They want to be the best. And then when it happens, they're not ready. Because what they thought it would be is they thought it would be like how they live today with more money, more love, more opportunity. But it doesn't. Your whole world changes. More people dislike you. More people will look into your business. You're just under more pressure, more scrutiny. And if you're not prepared to do that, top level boxing might not be for you. And maybe Tails begin to realize that. But hopefully he grows into it because boxing needs him just like boxing needs Adrian Broner, another guy who struggled. It was good to see Adrian back. Um, it still feels weird seeing him so next to Don King. Um, Don King looks about 165. How they've kept him going, I don't know. But credit where credit's due, still looks a giant of a man. But yeah, Adrian jumps in with a guy who looked like he boxed part-time. Did what he had to do to shake the ring rust off. Um, hopefully this is a sign of him you know, taking it seriously, but you never know. Like I said, a lot of these guys struggle with the fame that comes with the elevated status a champion acquires. They, they struggle with it. They struggle to manage the money. They struggle to manage the negativity. They struggle to manage the pressure because normally they have the wrong people around them. One thing you've got to give Floyd credit for is he seems to have had the right people around him and he's been consistent with the people he's had around him. And so that's kind of kept him level. You never really know what's going on beneath the surface with Floyd, but then that's also his superpower. But it was good to have Adrian Broner back. It was good to have Rigandau back. It feels like 2014 all over again, doesn't it? You know, Rigandau stopping people, AB, you know, swinging, swinging for the fences. But let's just see what these guys do because it's definitely last chance saloon for both of them. And if Don King can get those guys up, then God, imagine Don King being back. And it's also worth remembering what Don King did to Eddie Hearn with Christopher Lovejoy and Hearn never said a word. Never. Think of all the people that he's disrespected. DeBella, Espinosa, Aram, Eubank Sr., Frank Warren. You know, he disrespects their Ben Shalom. Not one peep about Don King. It's almost as if Don King might know how his dad ended up in Epstein's Black Book. Maybe Don took him to the island. Maybe Don took them all to the island on a family trip. Don't know. But he was awfully quiet about Don King, and that makes you wonder how powerful is Don. Because if he's as powerful as we suspect, then AB will be fighting for a title sooner rather than later. Um, if he can get some form back, why wouldn't you want to see him jump in? Why wouldn't you want to see AB jump in with Devin Haney? Why wouldn't you want to see him you know, jump in with Teofimo or Josh Taylor? You'd want to see those fights. You know, that, that kind of stretch from 135 to 147 is just heating up beautifully at the moment. I'd even include the 154 guys, Tim Zhu, I'd include in that. I'd include um, Mel Charlo, Fandora, you know, Lubin if he can get back down, Heard if he can get back down, but they seem to be moving up to middle. There's a lo lot of good fights that can happen. Sadly, they also seem to be American and not British. But I, I guess that is what it is. Um, what should I close off with? I should close off with Carl Frost, shouldn't I? So Carl is in the States this weekend to be inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. And for those who know my relationship with Porky Russ, you'll know that him and I butt heads about Carl Frotch all the time. Um, you know, Porky thinks Carl Frotch created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he sparred. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Carl Frotch is 
one of our best ever exports. I think that run that he had in his career was impressive. Take Yusuf Mack off of that, and you're like, that's, that's Hall of Fame worthy. And he did it in multiple ways. He came from behind against Taylor. He, he, he dragged himself off the canvas against Groves. Then he ended it emphatically against Groves. He outboxed Kessler, outboxed Abraham. Frotch showed a lot of dimensions to what he was capable of, and he was a glowing advert for McCracken's basic yet effective style of coaching, and maybe Anthony Joshua could have learned from that. Maybe he should have learned a bit more on Carl Frotch. But here's another thing I find interesting. Whenever I talk to these boxers who are coming through now, and I always ask them, have you ever tried to contact Carl Frotch? Have you ever tried to get lunch with Carl? Maybe in a fight week, you just pick his brain about stuff and say to Carl, this is what I do for training. What do you think? Like, what do you think it takes to transcend from being a British level guy to a dominant world champion? What's that gap? I've, ne- I've never known someone to sit down with Carl and purposefully get that information. I've never known someone to sit down with Clinton Woods and purposely get that information. I don't know if people sit down with Ricky Hatton to actively get that information. I say the same about Kel Brook. British boxers don't do that, so the knowledge never travels down. That's why we're not very good. In America, the knowledge travels down. I would, if I was a young prospect now, I'd be hunting down Clinton Woods. I'd be saying, mate, tell me the difference. Area level to English level, English level to British level, British level to European level, European level to world level. Then what does it take to stay at world level? When you get to world level, what are the things you need to look out for? Well, all of that stuff. I mean, you could have a three-hour lunch with Clinton, pay for it, obviously, because you're getting his knowledge. And by the end of it, you're a completely different boxer. You're more clued up. And the reason a lot of people don't encourage you to do that as a boxer is they know that when you're ignorant, yeah, they can take the piss. They can make money appear, disappear, opportunities appear and disappear, and you won't know what questions to ask. It's a real shame boxers don't do that. Real shame they don't educate themselves because maybe we'd avoid a lot of these problems. But I am happy for Carl because I think, like I said, Carl Frotch is an example of how to have a career. And if you said to me of the current bunch now, who would I put in that category? I put Denzel in that category. I put Dan Aziz in that category. I put Chris Billum Smith in that category. You know, guys who, guys who've done it. The they've taken the long route. They've taken the long route. They've taken defeats. Well, Dan hasn't yet. They've taken setbacks, adversity. All of these things are what build the character for the later opportunity. So, congratulations to Carl. I think. All us British boxing fans should be, you know, applauding that because he, he's there on merit. He's not there for any other reason. He, he has a record you can't question. It's as simple as that. But look, guys, I'm going to sign off for that point. I might have to record after Lopez versus Taylor if it's any, if it's any good. Um, but if it's not, then obviously I can wait till Monday. But no, let me say, look, if you've got sunshine, go out and enjoy the sunshine. Spend some time with your loved ones. Spend some time with some friends. Go out there and do at least one thing that makes you happy because I mean, the day is soon gone. So don't sit around waiting for things to happen. Go out there and make something happen. Make yourself smile, if nothing else. Whew, let me sign up for that point. Take care, guys. 